0: Welcome K2H listeners, today I am very happy to have a documentary filmmaker to talk about, you know, you know documentary is different from film and I think a lot of times we take it for granted that it's still a constructed and fabricated story of something but there's something very personal about it. Um, the lens of a documentary filmmaker. And so having the filmmaker here to talk about the process and um, their personal stories and what influenced them is really, really important and special. So I'm going to welcome a documentary filmmaker right now who is based in Los Angeles, but originally from Manila, uh, Drama, Drama Del Rosario. Welcome, Drama.
1: Hi, glad to be here. Thank you, Crystal.
0: So yeah, thank you for your time. Now, um, for people who don't know, I'm just going to briefly introduce a little bit of your work. And then hopefully you can maybe tell us more about what you want us to know. Um, Your personal documentary that was released last year, I'm Okay, and Neither Are You, uh, addresses sexual assault and trauma from a gay couple's perspective. And a previous one that sounds like it's kind of um, developed, Meant to that project that you had just done in this family that follows um your coming out story as a gay teenager in the Philippines. So that one has a little bit more of a cultural context to it. And I'd like to unpack all these elements because they're all intersecting and you're like, you know, the perfect candidate to talk about all this embodied into one person and, and several films. So um you let's talk about your personal life first, if you don't mind. Yeah. Growing up in the Philippines, um, and then having kind of like going through your gender identity issues. And before I say that, can I just ask you if you feel that your work exploring gender issues is something that you com- you feel compelled to do, almost like a responsibility in-, in treating the lack of representation on media? Or is it something that you're grappling with personally that you want to translate and kind of um, transfer into the form of film in which you study and love.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the documentaries that I make are very personal documentaries, meaning I'm the one behind the camera and I'm the one in front of the camera telling my own stories in my own specific way through the background that I grew up through the kind of person that I am, um, in this world, um, and those are do- the documentaries that I do. In this family covers my coming out story when I came out as a gay teenager in the Philippines. And I'm okay, neither are you deals with my relationship um, and my own mental health and my how my mental health, health affected my relationship with my boyfriend. So those are, you know, being very personal, being very intimate in front of the camera is the kind of documentaries that I do. And in terms of making these kinds of, you know, personal documentaries from a queer Filipino, you know, non-US citizen perspective um, is a mixture of me wanting representation and me just finally having the chance to talk about these things that I never really had the chance to talk to when I was talk about when I was growing up in um, Manila in the Philippines. So yeah, it's really, you know, a mix of both. One of the things that I said, when I received the grant from BAFTA for I'm Okay, Neither Are You, is that when you, when these things happen to you, such as, you know, homophobia or sexual assault, or these really traumatic things happen to you, and you know how to use a camera and you know how to tell a story, to a certain degree, it's your responsibility to share that story. Because a lot of people may not necessarily have the capabilities to share these kinds of stories for sharing the story if you can, and if you have the skills. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, so bring us back to your,
1: I think you froze a bit there. Yeah.
0: There's a little glitch there. Um, let's bring it back to your childhood in the Philippines. You know, um, in Hawaii, it's a very Asian dominated place. So it's not something unusual to talk about, you know, um, Asian influence in your work, right? But in the larger US, it's like, it's a a deal. Like you have to justify yourself understanding what your identity is and what's shaped you and all that stuff, right? Here it's the norm. So, Bring us back to the Philippines in, in your kind of like did you live, did you grow up in the city? Were there influences or th- situations that kind of brought your attention to what binary world you grew up in and why you felt like you didn't fit in and you know, those things that you addressed?
1: Absolutely, great question. Um, I was born and raised in Manila in the Philippines, specifically Kansas City. And for 16 years, actually no, for 12 years, wait. For 16 years, I studied in a Jesuit school, um, basically a university run by Jesuits. And for the first 12 years of that was all boys. Um, The Philippines is a very um, Catholic, you know, religious conservative kind of country. And I definitely grew up in a very religious, conservative kind of household. Um, And I was surrounded by that too in my all boys Jesuit school. And so growing up, You know, never really got to explore my sexuality safely. Um, A lot of things were, you know, shushed. I couldn't, you know, express myself in the way that I can express myself right now. And so, you know, my coming out story has a lot to do with the cultural background that I grew up in, with the kind of household that I grew up in. Um, And that's so important for me to talk about and tackle in this particular coming out film because you know how my family works and how the culture of my family works had a lot to do with this coming out experience and for everyone's coming out experience like it's not just like a coming out experience isn't just a coming out experience like especially if you're a person of color if you're from a you know wherever part of the world that definitely influences your own coming out story.
0: Yeah. Um, can you share a little bit, like even more personal, like in terms of the coming out age, you know, we're grappling with sexuality and it doesn't even have to do with gender. It's just about us as individual bodies, you know, the need to explore and try to understand how our body works. Um, mm-hmm. Like, did you have someone to, to share? Like, did you have sex ed in school? Did you learn about the kind of the anatomy and how it works or how it should work?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had science classes about the reproductive system science isn't sex we had right like <laughs> i would never like i could never say that we actually had like good sex ed like we had we had science classes about the reproductive system we had like a guidance counselor come every everyone like come like once a semester to our class to talk about like puberty and like you know masturbation and like all those random things for like one hour but never really like they normalize proper like healthy kind of discussions a lot of the things that I learned (laughs) were from like google searches or or, you know some random thing that I would stumble upon online yeah and like which just that you know the the, the lack of this discussion about the it was very Jesuit school, you know. They, they, they just they just don't tackle those kinds of things, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: So I guess I know, you, you learn outside. I, you I know it's a little bit glitchy and frozen. Can you hear me now? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can hear okay. you. Am I frozen for you?
0: No, but it was glitchy earlier. But yeah, I know. Um, I hate technology. So yeah, but you <laughs> learn you learn sex ed through technology in a strange way because you know everyone's accessing things outside. Um, was your first, if you don't mind sharing, is, is was your first sexual experience with a man or a woman, or boy or a girl, or either, or oh. it could be any, right? It yeah. was with
1: the. It was. I think it was with like a boy in like the bathroom of the library. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, I'm a lot. I'm allowed to say that now, but yeah, here it is. I think it was like in the in the bathroom of our library. I think I was in fourth grade I don't know I think like we were just two very curious boys and I think a janitor almost caught us no (laughs) that was a that was a different time (laughs) but um yeah it was it was in the library of the it was in the bathroom of the library um in fourth grade
0: yeah no, but these are all part of the growing up stories, you know, we all have, and it, it's, it's beautiful to remember, you know, to, to kind of draw yeah. from them, right? So, yeah. you know, so, so with your family and addressing who you are or who you become, what was the, um, I guess the hardest thing to deal with with them? Because obviously they come from, like you say, a very Catholic family, very kind of structured, I'm sure it's very patriarchal, right? very yeah how do you even start that conversation
1: oh I don't even know um everyday life was hard every like uh, the memories that I had during my pre-coming out days were usually you know my dad picking me up from school hoping that as we you know walk to the car in the parking lot that no random boy is gonna shout out like he's gay, he's gay, and all of that. Um, <laughs> and then we get to the car, and then we drive home, and then once we're home, I go in my room and lock the door, and, like, I just don't talk to anyone, because I just, like, <laughs> like I, just, I just don't, like, like, I got criticized so much by my own parents about, like, how gay my voice is, and they would, like, randomly go up to me at random times of the day and be like, hey, are you gay? Because your grandmother thinks you're gay, or... Things like that. So, like, just, just growing up with that level of anxiety at home is not normal. It's so not normal. And that's just at home. I haven't even gone to the part about school yet because the mm-hmm. teachers, some of the teachers were pretty much the same where there is a big target on your forehead if you are a gay boy in a Jesuit school. And growing up, like growing up with that level of fear just is not safe and it, it, it fucks you up. Am I allowed to say that? No, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> Now I have
0: to go back and try to find that part and delete it yeah.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Wait, let me, let me rewind that sentence. <laughs> okay. like, growing up, like growing up um, with that level of fear every single day like, just really messes with you. And it still messes with me today. Like, as much as I don't want to admit it, like, it it, it it still horrifies me today. Like, like are people watching me? Like, are people secretly, like, judging me? Are people saying that I'm too gay or whatever? Are people messaging my Like, my parents are cool now, but I still have that fear of, you know, are people messaging my parents or, like, commenting on my parents' posts saying yeah. that their son is too gay? It's happened before. Yeah. Um, so...
0: Um, you know there's a part in your film I remember where your your father says specifically trying to like give you a a 101 on kind of gender understanding like I am a man you are you know it's like who is a boy and who is a girl and how does a boy act and how does a girl act
1: I think you're breaking up a little bit
0: okay so let me repeat that Uh, can you hear me now can you hear uh, me now are you still is it frozen yeah can hear you. Oh, I hate this. OK, yes. so um, I'm just going to go you. back to it's how... frozen, but I
1: can hear you. <laughs> okay.
0: So there is the clip in your film where your dad the um, dresses like trying to clarify, like, as if you didn't understand this, that, OK, I'm a man, your mother is a woman, you know, it's that simple. <laughs> and, you know, t- to have to try to go from come from their side, too, is their binary world of understanding life. Right. We didn't have mm-hmm. this kind of um, idea of crossing boundaries of non-binary, of multiple pronouns, plural pronouns. They don't have that. It doesn't exist in their vocabulary. And so mm-hmm. how do you talk to somebody who, like to convince them of this non-binary space when they don't see that other than black and white?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we do, especially like my cousins and I make, I also have queer cousins. Um, and we're very, especially like in my dad's side of the family, and even in my mom's side of the family, we're all very close. And the way we address it is we just be, you know, we never, it's not like some big, like ceremonial sit down during dinner and like, let's discuss this and all of that. We just kind of like, do what we do. We just kind of post what we post. And, you know, when, when there's a family dinner or a family gathering, we just dress up and act the way that we act. Like as, at a certain point, you just get sick of the criticism from the older people. And you're just like, you know what, whatever. I'm just gonna come as I am. Um, yeah, this is just this is, it's, it's that's the only way like that I, I found to um, tackle it in my family, just to, to, to do what you need to do. Um, and it's so great that you pointed out that um, you know that some of these things you know they don't exist in their vocabulary and all of that and they're also like external factors and like pressures for my father you know I am the only son of an only son my dad is the only son in his family so technically like the bloodline will be carried through me and that's like a lot of pressure on me and a lot of pressure on my dad um and see those are the Types of things that did not kick in or like settle in my head until a little bit after I came out. Um, so how much are those? Time passes, you start to understand things from their perspective,
0: yeah. But understanding isn't one thing, Mm -hmm. understanding their perspective is one thing, but to Um, include that into who you are, like how much of that cultural preservation, kind of the need to carry on the bloodline and the generations, you know, all that stuff. How much do you think your Filipino um, culture is so, uh, you know, uh, how much do you, how much do you, yeah, how much do you weigh that into your decisions in life now? So for example, do you plan to, do you wanna have kids? Um, is, that, and that's, is that because for your parents or is it for you? And how much of it is a cultural decision and how much is it a personal decision?
1: That is a really great question that I have been thinking about a lot. And this is kind of the first time that I'm actually verbalizing all of this, but a big part of me kind of doesn't want to have kids at least right now, because only now am I realizing my traumas. You know, all realizing, you know, some things in my mental health, and I am just so afraid to take care of a little baby and pass on my trauma, my unprocessed trauma to a younger child because, so right now I'm 26. My mom had um, my older sister, I believe at 24 or 23. So, my age right now is my mom's age with two little kids, right. you know? And I'm starting to notice patterns of behavior in myself that are similar to my mom.
0: You're becoming your mother. <laughs> I'm
1: literally becoming my mother. And oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I'm literally becoming my mother. And with that comes the way I react to things, such as, Um, cleaning the apartment or something like that. Um, You know, when I was a kid, uh, my mom would tell me and my sister, like, clean this and all of that. And like, why are you so messy? And why don't you like my taste in furniture and like home decor and all of that? And as little kids, you think, you know, like, what's wrong with me? I'm so messy. Like, my, my mom doesn't love me and all of that. And now I'm realizing that maybe my mom just had, you know, maybe some kind of OCD tendencies that she was projecting onto us. Yeah. And I am so afraid of doing that to my own kids if I have kids. Oh, it'll
0: probably happen. I'm just telling you, that's (laughs)
1: how it works.
0: (laughs) Everything you don't want to happen is going to like come back. (laughs) Everything you don't want to happen.
1: (laughs) But yeah, basically like I am just so afraid of like, passing on unprocessed trauma to another generation, Um, especially since I'm noticing these patterns of behavior that I got from my parents at this age.
0: Yeah, no, but I think you brought up a very good point is the impact trauma has on a person and how much psychological scarring that actually um, never really ever disappears. And what triggers it to come back is something. So um, I'd like to get to trauma and and sexual assault a little bit later when we talk about your film. Welcome back to K2H. I am talking to Drama Del Rosario, who is a documentary filmmaker, and we've been talking about um, drama. We've been talking about your personal life in the Philippines, but let's move on a little bit more into your uh, filmmaking career and kind of how you address issues with um, sexual identity and sexual assaults, particularly because that's a sensitive one. Um, in your more recent film called um, I'm Okay and Neither Are You and I love that contradiction in the title so um, yeah let's talk about this this, Okay, how do we even start talking about sexual assault (laughs) you know there's a lot going on there how do you Mm -hmm. usually begin with this topic
1: that is a really really good question and the the way I started even talking about this was a long process filled with tears and like long emotional conversations. Cause it's hard to talk about. It's so like when I was initially um, making this film I made this film as my thesis for my master's degree Um, because I mean, I was looking at our thesis calendar and I saw that um, June 2019 would be when we would be filming the bulk of our thesis. And I was exploring other documentary film ideas, you know, other suggestions and other topics for that. But I just could not, I, I just could not get myself to make a film about something else, knowing that June, 2019 would be the one year mark of this horrible thing that happened to me last year, um, June, 2018. Uh, and j- j- that just kept like, Picking on me and picking on me, like I just could not come to these film brainstorming meetings anymore and not address this. Um, and it took like months before I actually like said, "Okay, my film needs to be about this." Um,
0: so it's basically controlled your life in a sense that it's like it you honestly did. You see, right? Yeah.
1: It honestly did. Like I just it's hard to focus on other things when that is in the back of your head it's really really hard you know and it's it's you try to like cover it up with you know thinking about other issues and thinking about other work related things and uh, and things like that but uh, these you know triggers come from everywhere like you don't even like someone could a stranger could literally just be sitting on a chair and that could be triggering for you like you never expect when it's going to come and a certain point like the bubble is going to burst if you don't talk about it
0: so for your process of reckoning with it did you need um like how soon did you like seek support or recognize that you needed to talk to somebody and you know how did you kind of transfer this kind of this 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 really toxic and um uh, and, and and you know dangerous kind of psychological space.
1: Yeah. So in the holidays of 2018, you know, that was really, you know, the peak of when things were really like eating up in me. Like I I, I talked to a bunch of other people that, you know, the sexual assault had happened to me, but I just never really went into detail of how much I thought about it every day and how the way people speak to me would trigger memories of that person who did that thing to me. Um, and over the holidays, like, I just started sending my boyfriend like very suicidal kind of messages, which prompted him to, you know, call the, call the emergency services. And so I had to spend, you know, I had to spend a couple nights in uh, the psychiatric unit of a hospital. Um, and that's like really, really when it hit me that, you know, my boyfriend was on uh, vacation with his family in Europe. Um, And that's the fact that he had to call the police, call like the LA police department or whatever, um, while he was in Europe and then fly from his family holiday trip back to LA um, just to make sure I'm okay in the hospital. That's like really when it kicked, um, kicked in my head that this is starting to affect other people. This is really starting to affect other people. And he was the one who suggested that I go to therapy and you know talk to other talk to a professional about this. And I was hesitant at first. I didn't really you know feel the need to talk to someone on a weekly basis. But also you know I was an I was an international student with no source of income. Like the 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 the, the cost of therapy really intimidated me at that mm-hmm. time. Um, but then the more I saw my mental health affecting his mental health, um, the more, you know, the more I felt like it was necessary for me to talk to someone.
0: And I think, you know, this, this kind of issue of mental health is something so under-recognized because it's not visible, right? It's not tangent. And Mm -hmm. so, so many people suffer from it and you don't know, you can't tell until somebody kind of does something dangerous usually, which Mm -hmm. is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting with the film medium to try to address this is that you're framing yourself in it where you're confronting your, you know the hauntings of this assault and yet you're controlling it because you are the director of it. So you have to look from outside of how you want to frame the construction or reconstruction of this, um, this horrible past. But at the same time, be present in that role you play as yourself reckoning with that with your boyfriend. So there's a lot going on, right? Yeah. Very emotional in the film. But then how do you pull yourself away as a director to control how this is supposed to be as a structural piece, you know, as a as a, as a coherent narrative for people where you don't go off tensions going, oh no, this is all about my um you know, mental health issues. So I'm going to go off the deep end with it. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you tangle the two?
1: Yeah, great. Um, This is where really good film crew members come in. I really made it a point that for this particular documentary that deals with such sensitive topics that I don't just get a film crew that's like talented. Like I wanted a film crew that's talented and skilled, but also people who I trust, people who... Are my friends who I've talked to before, people who have seen me cry in real life, um, because I know that one, I trust them enough, even though a camera is there. I trust them enough to open up and talk about, you know, the, the, eh, talk about super, super difficult things. You know, the the concept of safe space for me has all has never been like a, a space void of discomfort. But instead it is a space that is so uncomfortable and yet you trust the people enough in that room to talk about these uncomfortable things. And that for me is where a good film crew really comes in. And then another thing that I did with them, they know me so well and they know how my brain thinks. And basically, you know, I was talking to Victoria. Victoria is the one who did the interviews for the documentary. She is the voice behind the camera when you see me on camera, when you see Chris, my boyfriend on camera. I told her, you know, here's a list of questions that you can use as a guide just so we can chronologically trace how everything is happening for the film. But you know my train of thought, you know me well feel free to catch me off guard and grill me and like rearrange these questions and throw in some scary questions in there um, just so we can like get to the bottom of this and see yeah. what's really happening. And I'm so glad that they did that. It's so important for me to have these kinds of people rallying behind me yeah, and making no, a kind really of thing. Yeah,
0: that's really a good thing. But when you were there in that position to, um... To confront your partner, how um, conscious were you of the cameras? Like, how performative was it for you to kind of uh, express what was happening to you, you know, a while back and reliving that trauma?
1: These are the kinds of things that I don't think I would normally talk about on a regular day with with my boyfriend like like when we're sitting on the couch having dinner or watching a show like these are not the kinds of conversations that we have and when there's light when there are lights there when there's a camera there like that is an invitation to talk about these things when you consciously know that there's a film and when you know that people are going to you know watch this and it's an opportunity for you to share your story because like if you, if you yourself don't share your story in that kind of environment where you can trust the people there and you can you know, pretty much like hold the story, other people are gonna share, are gonna tell your story in a kind of messy way and not exactly in the kind of way that you would want to have that story told and isn't authentically the, the, what happened to you so having the camera and the lights there um is an opportunity it's 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 your chance to talk about these kinds of things yeah and knowing that other people are going to watch it as well
0: you're literally Um, shining light on the subject
1: it's literally yeah (laughs) Uh uh-huh literally yeah
0: yeah yeah um so do you feel you know like this was a real kind of this process was a therapy in itself I mean, there's a pretty Oh my
1: process. gosh, yes. Yeah, I honestly do not know what my mental state would be right now. Um, and even pre-COVID, um, what my mental state would be if I didn't address these kinds of things. There are things in my documentary that probably would not have happened if I did not know that in the back of my mind that I was making a film, such as that conversation with my former roommate who witnessed the assault. Like that is normally a conversation that I would not have in real life, but I know since I'm making a film, I want that conversation there. Um, and the fact that we had that, that we had that conversation, no, I didn't have any intentions of like grilling him or like roasting him or anything. I just genuinely wanted to see his side. Um, the fact that I was making a film gave me an opportunity and the courage, pretty much, to ask you know, what his side was. And even the conversations with my family, like the phone calls that I had with my family that are also in the film, like calling up my parents and telling them, hey, I'm halfway around the world and I just went through a sexual Like That is not something that I would do on a regular basis, but I felt the need um, to put that in the film because I know other people are watching this and I know a lot of people are gonna gain things from seeing, My reaction to telling them, seeing my parents' reaction to hearing that, um, and just like overall, you know, showing that these conversations can actually happen. You know, yeah. I feel like it's so hard for people to have these kinds of conversations because they don't have examples for them. Like they don't see it out there in the world. Like they don't know how to structure these kinds of conversations with their family or with their friends because they don't see examples of these out there in the world. Yeah, And so it's so necessary for me as a documentary filmmaker to kind of incite and, you know, start having those conversations as an example for other people.
0: Yeah, so that goes back to my initial question when we started this conversation is whether this was something that was kind of driven by a sense of responsibility. And, and, and cause you have that power of, of knowing how to tell a story through film. And, and in addition to digging to the very sensitive issues that need to be addressed. It's, you know, um, yeah. How much does like ethnicity play into this? I, I know I know your boyfriend is white, right?
1: He is a mixture of different things. He's okay. German, Swedish, Iranian. everybody's like up. That's
0: cool. <laughs> okay, so did your parents have an issue with you dating a non-Asian person? Let's hear a little bit about that kind of element <laughs> in your personal life.
1: I don't think it was ever, like, an issue. Because, like, I I... I, I this is like I think this is the first like actual series like Chris is like my first ever like actual serious relationship like I've had boyfriends before I've dated other people before these like my first Asian ever relationship or
0: I sorry to um,
1: they're usually they they were they were all Filipino my previous boyfriends because they were basically like in the Philippines okay um, except for one who was in Canada but he was also like Filipino anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. um, yeah. So like, it, it was, it was, it was never an issue for them only, only because I feel like this was the first time they ever saw me in the context of a relationship. Um, they, okay, but I don't I'm know, just they're asking
0: just... Because race is such a, a trigger issue right now. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like for me being Asian growing up, my mom used to always say not always, but she would say things to me that still shock me today about how I can date anyone I want as long as they're not black. And I'm like, whoa, you cannot say that today, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that she said that, where did it come from, you know? Um, so grappling with concepts of who people are and what attracts you to a person and what doesn't attract you, I just wonder if that kind of comes into play in your sense of, um, you know, relationships and things like that.
1: You know, what really, what I really, really found interesting, which is also, I think, a cultural thing, is that when I was going through, you know, debating whether or not I should go to therapy and, you know, being afraid of getting mental health services, Chris and even his family were really encouraging me to do it. Um, And that's just something that I never got from my own family. Like, mental health is not even something that you talk about, sometimes even made fun of in Philippine media. And then there are recent oh, yeah, examples yeah, yeah. of that, had
0: some with um, that right?
1: yeah so like the, so it was really like unusual for me in a good way to hear my boyfriend and his family like saying you know there are mental health services around you if you need help you go get help um if you need you know personal experiences from other people I can connect you to this person who went through this thing and I was like oh my gosh like what like you're recommending resources to me like I never like
0: yeah I had never experienced
1: something like that too like in the like we just don't do that yeah. back home and we should start doing that back in yeah. the Philippines
0: yeah now there's a lot of kind of taboos within Asian cultures that you kind of have to work with right and I think race is one of them color is one of them that nobody wants to address because nobody wants to think that they are racist against other um you know types of people based on color. Um, just to wrap it up with a little fun hypothetical, let's just say you and your boyfriend were to want to get married and have kids, right? Let's just say, I know you're young, too young to even think about this now, but I'm just throwing it at you. So taking in that cultural element, if you were to adopt or or uh, have an, uh, what do you call that, surrogate, do you, are you going to want like a Filipino baby? Are you going to want like a European, you know, what are those, you know, See, you never even thought about that, right?
1: I don't. I don't hello, can, can you hear me? Yeah.
0: Can
1: you hear me?
0: Yeah, it's just a little degree. Yeah, maybe I asked the wrong question, and it's like freezing us on purpose.
1: Frozen.
0: You're frozen now.
1: Wait, can, wait. Uh, can You hear me?
0: I do. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Can you hear me? You're frozen, you but I me? can hear you.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, anyway, it's recording on QuickTime, but <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to, like, evade the question. <laughs> you don't know how but, to answer um, it. Um, I don't even know. I can't... I I, I honestly don't know. I don't... I, I, I can't even keep, like, a house plant alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> let alone, like, another human being. Um, it's a hypothetical. That's a really good question. That's a really, really good question, because, like, honestly, there's a part of me that is so afraid of having to raise a child that is going to go through a world that has racism like that is so terrifying to me that is so terrifying to me um whether or not that will account to the future i don't know <laughs> we have it <laughs> all on recording is, <laughs> yeah all i know is like i have to learn how to keep a house plant alive first before i even consider like Raising a child.
0: Fine. <laughs> Start that first and come back to me when you think of those things. Um, just to wrap it up, then, is there anything you wanted to share based on your experience in grappling with such sensitive personal issues uh, for people who have had uh, situations like this or have, have friends who are going through something similar? What are some suggestions you have in um, confronting uh, and dealing with sexual assault?
1: Definitely like don't keep it in, or at least when you feel like you're finally ready to talk about it you know please talk to someone please don't let it you know brew up inside of you and you know don't don't wait for an explosion or anything like don't a lot of people i feel like are waiting for like escalating behaviors or like escalating trends in their in 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 their mental health or whatever but i just feel like you don't have to wait that long if you need to talk to someone Um, talk to someone. And, you know, specifically for like artists and filmmakers who want to, you know, get their story out there. I definitely like encourage you. Definitely, definitely, especially if you're um, in a situation where you have the platform to talk about these kinds of things. A lot of things that, you know, I, I, I think about a lot are you know, would I be able to share the story if I didn't have access to like equipment? Would I be able to share the story if I knew the actual identity of the person who did that to me? Cause I don't know the identity of that person and that while that's a horrible thing that also, you know, kind of helped me gain the courage to tell the story because I know I'm not directly pinpointing one person which will have its own legal implications. So, you know, if 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 you're in an opportunity to talk about it if you're if if you're in a you know if you have the opportunity to talk about it and if you're in a situation to be able to talk about it please do um a lot of people would really benefit just from you talking about it yeah um yeah
0: yeah no thank you for sharing that um any um you want to share anything about new projects you're working on
1: yeah um so i a bunch of different projects, honestly. <laughs> but um, in this family, in, in terms of my current films, in this family is available on PBS platforms for free. That includes the PBS app, the PBS YouTube page, uh, the PBS Short Film Festival uh, website. So feel free to watch the film. It's also available on the on TFC or the Filipino channel to all the subscribers. Um, I'm okay. Neither are you. Is doing a bunch of um, screenings. Uh, throughout the year. I I love doing screenings for schools and, you know, students. Uh, So hit me up if you want to do a screening. Um, And in terms of my upcoming projects, I have, I think I have like two major ones. So one is called, uh, is a short uh, documentary style narrative film, kind of horror based it's called synonymous with and I'm the executive producer for that film the first film that I'm ever executive producing so I'm really excited about that I believe it's rolling out sometime in 2021 and then the other film is called poster child which I'm really excited so for my full-time job where I'm the lead video producer um, in a company called believe limited wonderful production company here in LA that specializes in content for um, you know, communities with the rare diseases, specifically the bleeding disorders community. We are producing a documentary called Poster Child, which is, a, which is about the life of Ryan White, if people are familiar. He was a teenager who became a public figure after he was banned from going to high school. Hi, was it high school? He was banned from going to school for um, due to his AIDS diagnosis. Um, so I'm doing the archival production for that. So doing the research from the 80s eighties about how they tackled like AIDS and all that has really been an eye opener for me. And I'm so excited for that documentary to come out eventually.
0: Wow. Yeah, lots of great stuff to work on and to enrich yourself as well as other people. I look forward to hearing all the good stuff when it comes out. Good luck. Thank you so much guys, for tuning in to Drama (laughs) Del Rosario, personal documentary filmmaker. Thank you for sharing your personal experiences with us at K2H. And thank you for enlightening us with um, your process.
1: For sure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I love doing this.